Stella made a beat, so it's go time. And welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. Core 4 is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, along with GBB Live and the 3 Indie Podcast. Find those on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than my co-host, Nathan Chester. Nate, what up? Parker, I'm doing good, man. No nickname this week? Uh, just, I didn't want to force it, you know? Yeah, you're just not feeling it right now. I don't really think any of us are feeling it right now, and I don't want to get this show off on a negative note. Um, we had a very negative show a couple weeks ago, or I guess it was last week, when the NBA suspended its season. Um, our last show was the same night as that, and that really sucked for both me and you and all of our listeners. So even though the world's not exactly in a good place right now, even though society as we know it has been transformed, and we have no sports for at least the next two to three months, we're going to be positive. We're going to be optimistic here. I think it's fair to say, and you know, there's really nothing new because we're in quarantine, NBA shut down. So I yep. thought it'd be a nice way to go a little bit down memory lane. And yeah. let's go through some of our most loved and perhaps most hated. I think most strongly disliked. Yeah, hey, we're trying we're trying to be positive here and you know, hatred is such a strong word. Um I can't even hardly name anybody in my life that I absolutely hate and have a ton of animosity towards and especially during this difficult time in society and the world, we don't need to be focusing on feelings of hatred, Parker. Now feelings of intense dislike, oh man, I got plenty of those. Both for players in the NBA and for those who were once in the NBA. People in my life. It's natural. So let's dig into those feelings. Let's just embrace them over the next 30 minutes, okay? Yes, and I do want to start off by saying that I think it's fair to say that the core four is safe in both regards. I mean, it's one of those things like they're obviously loved. Like, Do we need to go down deep into it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Unless there's like a suit, like a really cool like experience or just a cool moment where like it's just kind of unique beyond just like, oh man, I just love the way he played and um loved how he did this, loved how he did that, his leadership, yada, you know, all that. That's what something everybody would say. At the core four, yeah. we're here to bring different. We're here to be different, and I have rationalizations for each of the picks. I believe both you and I are going to share three of our most loved and three of our most disliked, both among modern and former NBA players. But Hopefully, we'll be able to bring your own twist and spin to it. And I have my own personal feelings on the matter that I'm not sure many other people share. So, this should be interesting. Yes. Yeah, so, um, without further ado, I'll let you go first. 
So we're going to start off with the most love because I think this this is the category that's the least polarizing, the least divisive. And I just want us to start off on a good foot here. I just want us to put our best foot forward and start off with some positivity. And for my three most loved, I nailed it down to three people. So in both categories, I have one grizzly. I didn't really think it was right to do more than one grizzly or else I'm staying a little too much in my comfort zone, a little bit too much in my Memphis bubble. but any list with my most beloved or most well-liked NBA players cannot really be complete without Zach Randolph. And for obvious reasons, we don't need to get too d- deep into it. And if you didn't put him on your list, that's fine. But um, Zach Randolph, foundation of one of the best redemption stories that both the NBA and Memphis have ever seen. And Zach Randolph was the key cog and the central foundation for the Grizzlies finally becoming relevant which before 2011, they never really were in the NBA, even when they were making the playoffs. Um, I don't think you can call yourself relevant when you go 0-12 in the playoffs over a three-year period. Zach Randolph brought grit and grind to Memphis. He made Memphis the grit and grind Grizzlies, and he established the foundation of a culture and a winning tradition for nearly a decade of Memphis basketball for the first truly successful professional basketball team in Memphis and it's hard for me to leave off a list of my most beloved players and not have him on it because I think about all the memories that I have with him the jab step three over Tim Duncan um, to win the Grizzlies first home playoff game um, game six of that series to close it out when he was absolutely unstoppable it didn't matter what Tim Duncan DeWan Blair or Matt Bonner had anything to say or do about it. He was simply unstoppable. And he really gave Memphis the first taste of what it was like to have a true all-star in a way that Pau Gasol never really gave them. That's fair. Yeah. And I guess in mine, I really didn't go with anybody in the core four just because it's like... Too basic. I I get it. What? Too basic. I get it. It's easy. Yeah, and obviously, like, I've had, like, you know, obviously, I echo everything with Zach Randolph. Uh, Mark saw, obviously, a cool story with him being a high school kid in Memphis and transform into, from a, you know, a chubby, Big Mac-loving kid into a lean, mean, offensive machine and passing machine. And it's yeah. a true extraordinaire at his position. I mean, it is, when he took over a game, it just... It was different, you know. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was I think Zach's was the most different as far as when they took over. Like you, it was just surreal. But Mark had that same energy, like about like ninety percent of it. Whereas, like every time he got the ball in the post, he's either scoring or he's going to find somebody who's going to score, and it was just really cool. Yeah. But and then obviously Mike reasons on and off the court, and then uh, Tony Allen same thing reasons on and off the court, but. You know, you say you can't complete a list without a name, and I can't complete a list without a name, and that's Mike Miller. And that's fair. So obviously, I was seven years old when I started watching, really actually paying attention to the NBA and knowing what was going on. I mean, I had gone to games before, but I didn't really know what was going on until I was like seven years old. And obviously, Mike Miller's style of play has always been really cool because just sprays. A lot of threes really put in a lot of focus on becoming one of the the better shooters of the decade. And 
Um, I also got to know him off the court because my aunt actually was his son's nursery school teachers. And that nursery school was where I went to elementary school and middle school. And so it was funny too, because whenever he would come and pick his kids up from school, my mom and aunt would always tell me so that I can always leave, uh, walk out of class and go see him. And then it actually led to us like going to like a few of his son's birthday parties, which I mean, just having that, like getting to see an NBA player and interact with him off the court. is just really cool, you know? Yeah. And you get a sense of how genuine he is and how much he invests in the city of Memphis. I mean, he came back here, even though he lived in freaking Miami and he could have, and he lives in, like he went to UF, like he could have stayed in Florida, but he felt an investment in Memphis. I mean, beyond just becoming Penny's assistant coach, but I mean, opening up the restaurant, um, the multiple, the AAU club that he has or had, excuse me, after or before he started coaching at Memphis. I don't know. That's mine. I'll start with Mike. Yeah, and when you talk about personal experience, that leads me into the second person on my list. And this is not one that you or anyone else would probably expect to hear from me, but Monte Ellis is my second. And I don't have a ton of memories of watching Monte Ellis play basketball growing up. Most of the time, it was limited to when the Warriors played the Grizzlies. But um, I believe Monte still lives in Memphis. He has lived in Memphis for a very extended period of time now. I don't know how many years off the top of my head. Um, In fact, maybe not Memphis. I think he might live in South Haven now. Well, regardless, anyway, he lives in the area and he used to come up to Lifetime Fitness, which both you and I go to and rest in peace. It's closed down like most other fitness places are at the moment. Um, But he would come in and do private workouts in there. I guess it was just a chance to get out of his own gym that I'm sure he undoubtedly had. And he let me play one on one with him when I think I was about 14 or 15 years old and I beat him. Um, I beat Monte Ellis one-on-one. Um, yeah. Did I do it honestly? Did I beat him in a straight-up one-on-one game? Of course not. He would have scored uh, 15 to nothing in a heartbeat. Um, before I even looked up, it would all be over. Um, he was a guy who averaged 25, 5, and 5 at his peak in the NBA. But the fact that he was able to take interest in someone like me who was – Five foot five, probably 125 pounds at that point. Um, freshman, eighth grader, or freshman in high school. And to let me come and play with him on the court, to take the time and interest to allow me to play a game of one on one with him, to encourage me while we did it, and then even to let me win in it so I could talk about it on a podcast <laughs> eight years after the fact. Those are the type of things to stick with you for a long period of time, the type of memories. You always cherish whenever you step onto a basketball court. You take the time to reflect on all the little moments that got you to where you are here today. And Monte Ellis, if he's out there listening to this, probably doesn't even remember what in the world I'm talking about. Heck, he's probably thinking, heck, that kid's, that guy's lying. There's no way I ever lost to an eighth grader one-on-one. <laughs> but I'm always going to have that memory of him, and it's always something that stuck with me, and I appreciate it to this day. And it's why I put him on my most loved list. You should put that in your Twitter bio. Beat Monte Ellis one on one. I'll tag him. I'll tag him in a tweet. Is he on Twitter? Um, I'm at, I have Twitter up right now. Let's see if he's on Twitter. I haven't. 
really i think monte ellis like fell off the earth to be honest yeah i don't know, like, I, don't, I, I know he still lives in this area somewhere but i have not seen him and probably I don't think he's on twitter yeah I, I haven't seen him in at least four to five years he's definitely someone who values his privacy and keeps to himself um there's monte ellis news <laughs> God, maybe, I, they, maybe they can pass along the message Yes. Um, so my number two, again, another personal experience. I'm going to go with Hamed Haddadi. Oh, my Lord. No, hey, li- listen here. Listen here. So um, the Grizzlies, every season before the season, they held an MVP luncheon to where, you know, companies around the city as well as season ticket holders, you know, have a chance to go get lunch with the Grizzlies, there's a speaker, there's auction items, all this stuff. And I mean, it's a time for like kids to go get autographs and just meet the players and just honestly, you know, skip school. That was always really cool. And so I had a photographer from the commercial appeal come up to me and say, You can get a picture with anybody on the team and it'll go in the paper. Who do you want it to be? I said, Hamed Adati. And I was like, and the guy was like, okay. And so that, sure enough, in the newspaper, you saw one kid got that same opportunity. It's him and Rudy Gay. And then there's me and Hamed Adati. And so me and my cousin JD, we took a likeness to Hadati. And JD coined the term um, Hadati Pones down low. And I remember going ballistic in my living room when he tried to post up Shaq. He missed a shot, but got his own rebound and then did a drop step move and jammed it home. And then, so I also had the Hadati t-shirt jersey. Later on, I got the Hadati jersey. And I would make sure, like, if I was going to go to an event where I was, as a kid, where I was going to go see players, I wore my 15 and he recognized me. I would always have the number 15 in basketball, whether it was at school or if it was at uh, my club team. And he actually ended up following me on Instagram and Twitter. And (laughs) that was super cool. So, yeah, I got to go with the big fella here, Hamed Adati. Hamed Adati. This is not on my most loved list, but this is a surreal moment from another marginal big man in a Grizzlies uniform that has stuck with me. I want to say... It was the year Pau Gasol missed. It was his final year in Memphis, and he most missed most of the season due to injury. And you remember Jake Sakalitis? Bro, I had a Jake Sakalitis jersey. Jake Sakalitis got the start at center, and my dad got tickets from someone else. We didn't have season tickets at the time. And we sat on the third row behind the Boston Celtics bench. So I saw Paul Pierce. I saw Wally Zerbiak up close back in that time, and I don't even remember off the top. Maybe Antoine Walker was still on that team at that point. Um, but those are a few of the names I remembered. But Jake Sakalitis got the start at center, and I think his final stat line was 22 points and 12 rebounds. And you know someone like Hadati or Jake Sakalitis is a fan favorite. And after every good thing that he did, I think he had three or four and ones in that game, if my memory serves me correctly. After every basket, after every dead ball, the whole FedEx four was breaking out in a Jake, Jake. 
Jake chant. And it was the most surreal experience I think I've ever had in an NBA game. I don't remember anything like it. And there was this guy sitting in front of me. He would turn back and look at my dad every now and again and be like, Jake the Stank, the man's unstoppable. There's nothing Paul Pierce or anybody can do about it. I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? <laughs> I have never seen anything like it. I'm trying to think of what the modern equivalent of something like that is. Like maybe Furkan Korkmaz going off for 35 against Memphis and Philly a month ago. Maybe something like that. Just, just a very marginal role player having their one night of fame and that being that. <laughs> I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I think it'd be um, a lot like if Marco Guterich like went off and had like a seven or eight three three pointer game. <laughs> Probably the best app comparison. Maybe John Conchar doing it. Hey, he could. But um, yeah. I actually I pulled up because I definitely remember that um that little time where like he stepped into the starting lineup for Lorenzen Wright. I think it was because he was hurt. Yeah, and. He in a five game span he averaged fifteen eleven and over a block a game. I'm gonna see if I can find this games. Yeah, I found it. It's in two thousand six. Okay, so I was off by two years. Um, March fourteenth, two thousand six. And you know what I even remember about this time as well? Um, we had tickets for back to back games. They played the Philadelphia 76ers the night before, and Allen Iverson went out for the season in that game. That's a memory that stuck with me because AI was one of those players that even like guys today like LeBron James or when Kobe Bryant was playing, the kind of guys that would attract followings wherever they went. I remember a distraught group sitting a couple rows in front of me when Allen Iverson went down. That's another memory that stuck with me for a long time. But Jake had 19 points and 16 rebounds in a 93-76 win over the Boston Celtics back at that time. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Yep. So, uh, Nate, your, your final like before we move on to the slanders. You're going to laugh at me when I say this. I want you to take one guess who it is. I'll just give you one guess. You're going to be shocked by who it is. Andrew Harrison. Uh, I don't want you to lie to yourself like that. No, no. Penny Hardaway. Oh, shocker. Yeah. Um, If you followed me on Twitter over the last year, you've probably seen me be pretty critical of Penny Hardaway um, as coach of the Memphis Tigers, and I think that's mostly deserved. I think um, a lot of things have gone wrong. He's dealt with a lot of adversity. Um, And I, you know, the future's in doubt for Memphis Tiger basketball for multiple different factors. But Penny as a basketball player, Penny as a person, and Penny as an NBA player is something that's always going to stick with me because Penny has been in Memphis pretty much for as long as I can remember since my early childhood. And he was always at the periphery of my childhood as I grew up, I would always see him in restaurants. Do you know West Street Diner? It's in Germantown. Maybe. Uh, my parents and I used to go. They had fried chicken special on Friday night, and we'd go there and eat there a lot. And he was there almost every single Friday night. He'd either be doing takeout or he'd be there by himself just chilling and eating. Um, I talked to him a couple times. He was a very friendly and outgoing person. But – 
I want to share the story with you, and I think you'll remember this. Remember when I wrote about him when we were both at Beale Street Bears? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so the title of the article was Penny Hardaway is Timeless in Memphis, and I'm just going to read this excerpt that I wrote about him from my childhood. Um, it won't take long. I still remember the first time that I met Penny Hardaway when I was nine years old. We met at West Street Diner, an awesome local place in Germantown where you can get some of the best fried chicken you'll ever eat in your life. My dad pointed him out to me, and let me tell you, seeing a former NBA All-Star, especially one who played for the University of Memphis, in person is a religious experience for a young kid who loves basketball. For Penny Hardaway, it was probably just another time where he greeted a young fan in public. For me, it was one of those moments that make you remember why you fell in love with basketball. Fast forward five years later, and I met Penny Hardaway a second time. During the summer before my freshman year, I trained nearly every day at Lifetime Fitness in Carterville. And let me just be honest, I sucked. I was about five foot six and weighed only about 125 pounds at the time. Needless to say, I could barely hold my own out there on the court. And one day, Penny Hardaway came to the gym to play pickup, and even at nearly 40, the man looked like gravity didn't affect him. Crossover, step-back jumpers, layups, it was like watching the Memphis State highlight video. He looked every bit of a former NBA All-Star. And once he finished, he started talking to my trainer, Nick Matone, a former pro player in Europe. And as I started shooting by myself, trying to ignore the freaking Penny Hardaway, was watching me play basketball, I noticed Penny pointed me. Nick said something to him, and I turned to look at them. I looked at Penny, and Penny looked at me, and he grinned at me. He walked up to me, put his hand on my shoulder, and said, you keep working, kid. The little things like that, the little experiences that we have like that, whether it's Monte Ellis, whether it's Mike Miller, whether it's Penny Hardaway, the guys that we idolize, the people that we aspire to be like as athletes, and when they take the time for just a moment, to have a moment with someone like you at that stage of your life when you don't know what your identity is, you don't know who you are just yet, and they're all you want to be, and they take that time to spend a moment with you, it means something. It's something that sticks with you for a very long time. Even though those guys probably don't remember it at all, it means something to people like you and me. It means something to the point where you still talk about it five, seven, or however many years after the fact. And that moment with Penny Hardaway is something that stuck with me. That's a great story. And so, for my last one, I'm just going to go ahead and break that core four rule because I think obviously mentioning anybody on this year's roster is a little too soon, even though it could come pretty quick. As well as, um, I don't know, I mean, at the beginning stages, I mean, I was a little kid, obviously. It's like, don't remember a whole bunch. And then also, too, just that gunk that happened right after the first playoff run. And then in that playoff, that G&G run, it was really only the... Actually, actually, I'll go ahead and go off-brand or off-core uh, four. And I will I'll share another basketball interaction with a with a former NBA player. And this was actually when he was at like his peak of his popularity. It's wow. OJ Mayo. Really? Yeah. So I went to the OJ Mayo skills camp after sixth grade. And so it was a week where you got to do a bunch of like drills and scrimmages and stuff at the team facility center, practice facility center. And OJ Mayo, 
was the one who hosted it, or not really hosted it, but I mean, it was his camp. And we were doing some shooting drills. And OJ Mayo called me a good shooter. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those little things like like that, you know? Just to have somebody receive that little bit of affirmation, that little bit of support from someone that you aspire to be like, it really does mean the world. And you know, imagine to have the kind of power and authority to be someone like John Morant or Jaron Jackson and you just turning around to smile and give a fist bump to a kid on the third or fourth row, that's the kind of thing that'll stick with somebody for a decade or more. It takes little to no effort on their part. Maybe that says more about us and the way we idolize figures in sports and otherwise, but it doesn't take much. It doesn't. And it didn't take much for us to want to put the people that we've listed on our most loveless. Take a moment to make a moment. Absolutely. And so we're going to take a quick break before we get to our slander. All right, Nate, we are back. And it's time. I'm cracking my knuckles as we speak. All right. As our resident king of slander, negative Nate, you're first. It's not enough to slander certain players, Parker. There must be a reason why we slander. Slander must be deserved. So for the purposes of this slander session, I've broken up my three players into three different categories, which each player representing one of those individual categories. The first one is just somebody who's bad, who's just flat out terrible, shouldn't be in the league, but they are in the league, and I'm not happy about it. I had an intense disdain watching them play. The bad category. The second category is the lazy category. Someone who, whenever I watch them, I'm just filled with disdain because I look at them play and I think this person should absolutely be better than they are. And it irritates me to watch them play. And the third and most final category is just a terrible, awful person who has played in the NBA. Just terrible character. Um, I am filled with disdain and revulsion to even see their face. Okay. Please um, don't do what you did a year ago to where I had to scrap the podcast. He's not in the league. He he was never in the league as far as I'm concerned, so you don't have to worry about that for me. Um, Those who are around at the time know who I'm referring to. They don't need to hear me say it. But first off, we're going to start off this mellow with the bad category, and this is a former Grizzly, and it's an easy one. It's an easy pick. Hashim to beat. Um, it's not just that he was one of the biggest draft busts in NBA history at the time and still is. Um, and it's not just the fact that he was terrible, which he was. Um, it's the implications that came with him being on the roster. Um, you can go back, and there were plenty of other mistakes made along the way, but the 2009 draft and picking him second was the primary reason why the Grizzlies could not win a championship over the past decade. Um, he was the wrong piece to add that kept them from becoming a true title contender. Um, You pick basically anyone else in the top 15 of that draft and you get a solid role player. And when you add the insult to the injury, like players like Steph Curry, um, James Harden, uh, who else am I missing? There are other great players in that top 10. I mean, those are the two ones that people are going to point to. Even You you could even have someone like DeMar DeRozan. Oh, yeah. DeRozan would have probably put the Grizzlies over the hop in the 2010s. Right. And so, and you really 
do like if you want to get down in the trenches, you would say that the worst player the Grizzlies could have gotten and still have gotten over that hump. It sounds crazy, and this is just kind of a hot take. Like, granted, I wouldn't have said take him at two. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if it was 2009 and they took this guy, they would have done better with him than the beat, and that is Tyler Hansborough. <laughs> I don't think he would have gotten them over the hump, but he'd be a good, reliable role player for five, six years. But it kind of just goes to show you just, like, how terrible the beat was. Yeah, he was absolutely atrocious from day one. Um People used to give Sean Tui a hard time on um, telecast, and it's just because he didn't add much to the game, and he was relentlessly optimistic no matter what the situation was, and it was pretty irritating to hear. But I remember even he was totally out on the beat. You could hear it in his voice whenever he was calling games, and that's when I knew that it was time. It was time to move on, and um, that was the single greatest mistake in franchise history, and the Grizzlies have still never, or at least in the last era of Memphis Grizzlies basketball, never truly got over it. Parker, who's your first most hated? I'm just going to go with that one first. Yeah, I, I, I thought you might have that one too. Yeah, but my two are lumped together. Like My other two are lumped together. Okay. Just go so ahead. When I was a little kid. I just had this disdain and just like this, what are you doing mindset whenever these players would chunk the basketball. And that is Bobby Jackson and Chucky Atkins. <laughs> They're basically, it's the Spider-Man meme. They were basically the same player. And like really looking back on it, you're probably like, okay, they weren't that bad. But when I'm, when you're a nine year old kid and you just think to yourself that a point guard's job is for them to distribute the basketball. Because I'm even looking at Bobby Jackson's stats right now. In Memphis, he averaged 11 points, three rebounds, three assists, and shot almost 40% from three. But it was the fact that I just felt like he was chunking and chunking and chunking. I mean, he shot the ball 10 and a half times a game in only 25 minutes. And that is with guys like Mike Miller, Shane Battier, Pau Gasol, uh, Eddie Jones. Yeah, the stats back up the eye test there. Yeah. Like, I, it's just like, okay, you have all these guys that you need to pass the ball to, and you're just chunking it. And I had the same feeling with Chuck Yakis. I remember. So, do you remember that? Game, it was like game three, I guess, of the tw- 2006 playoffs against Dallas, where uh, they missed the free. I think Dallas missed a free throw, and then Dampier tipped it back out to Dirk, and he hit that three to put the lead. Yeah, big recollection. I remember Chucky Atkins, he dribbled it down into Dirk or Dampier and forced a shot over them when he had Pau Gasol right there for a dump off. And it infuriates me to this day that the Grizzlies could have had their first playoff win right then and there, but Chucky Atkins decided to play hero ball. Honestly, you could probably point to the lack of basketball IQ for the reason why the Grizzlies never won a playoff game over those three years. Um, Bonzi Wells, never a strong IQ player. Yet Shane Battier, who was one, but Guys like Eddie Jones, Bobby Jackson, Chucky Atkins, Strohmile Swift, those were never the guys that were definitely going to have you outsmarting one of your opponent. Um, you know who's another person from that era who was just absolutely terrible and filled me with disdain? 
Who? Casey Jacobson. Is that your is that your number two? No, 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 it's not. I'm about to get to that. But Casey Jacobson was just somebody that just, oh my gosh, why is this guy in the NBA? And there are many other friends who I've grown up with and I'm still friends with now. You know, Baylor Moss, he hated Casey Jacobson during that time. Just a guy who came into the game, and it's painful for me to say this. He's a white American basketball player, but the dude couldn't play. Couldn't play to save his life. I don't think he ever shot 40% while he was in the NBA. He was just absolutely terrible. And the Grizzlies, I think this was during the rebuild phase, but still, you may be trying to lose games, but you don't have to try that hard. <laughs> I, I understand that. Yeah. Um, and so, Nate, do you want to go with number two? I will go with number two, and this goes in my lazy category. And it's almost a split tie between these two players for this distinction, but I ultimately decided to go with one. Um, The split was between DeAndre Jordan and Hassan Whiteside, but I decided to go with DeAndre Jordan just because for the Clippers connection. You and I have had this conversation before. DeAndre Jordan could have been the next Bill Russell. A freak athlete, a phenomenal rebounder, one of the most fearsome paint protectors in the league, and the dude is just flat out lazy. I cannot stand to watch him play basketball. He will not get his feet outside of the restricted area anymore on defense. Do you remember back in 2015 when the Grizzlies started off like 14 and two, and the Grizzlies were playing the Clippers at home? They were wearing it was a Sunday afternoon game. Um, they were wearing their away jerseys. It's a very vivid memory for me. And I think Marcus Gasol had like 20 points in the first half. They were all mid-range jumpers, and they were all wide open because DeAndre Jordan would not get his lazy butt out of the paint. It's not like Marcus All shooting from mid-range is not in the scouting report. He'd been doing it since his rookie year. And I remember thinking to myself, how do Clipper fans put up with this guy? And to me, he represented everything that was bad everything that we didn't like about the Lob City area, uh, Lob City era in Los Angeles, because Chris Paul was great, Blake Griffin was great, Jamal Crawford was great, JJ Redick was great. DeAndre Jordan is a good basketball player. Has he made an All Star team? No, no. Yeah, yeah. He never- Maybe. If he was, it was a one time thing. But an All Star, twenty sixteen seventeen. Okay. Okay, an all-star caliber talent who is a very good basketball player, no matter how you decide to look at it, but just raw skill, low, low post skills, can't score inside unless off dump-offs or dunks, Um, and he's lazy. He's simply not everything that he could be, and he has no effort in trying to be better than that, it seems. Yeah, and um, guys, just so you all know, just because I – didn't mention any non-Grizzlies doesn't mean I'm a Grizzlies hater. It was just more me just um I was focusing on the Grizzlies here, you know? I can go all day about other guys. Yeah. So last category. Just awful character. That's like a really not so good person that we have factual evidence to know that they're not a very good person and I simply can't enjoy them as a player and never would. Parker, take a guess. Carl <laughs> Malone. Carl Malone. Yes, Carl Malone is the correct answer. Um, 
I, I don't want to speculate on this because you don't know one way or the other, but there's been a lot of documentation that he had a sexual relationship with a 13 year old girl. Why, why, while he was in the NBA, um, there are multiple stories about, I believe there's a very documented story. It's a sports illustrated feature story about how he hit on Kobe Bryant's wife all the time while they were in Los Angeles together and plenty of other stories just surrounding him as a player and both after the time he's a player, dude's just not a good guy. And it's unfortunate for a guy who's as great of a basketball player as he is. He's one of the two or three best power forwards of all time. But you can't root for someone like that. And Jazz fans at the time probably had no idea that he was like that. But in retrospect, yikes. That's all I have to say about it. Sounds good. Yeah, hate to see it. Yep, you do indeed hate to see it. But uh, mate, we're we're about out of time here. Is there anything else you need to say before we go? Uh, let's just try to keep the positivity up. I know we just slandered a bunch of guys, uh, people that we thought weren't great basketball players, or people we thought couldn't have been as great of basketball players as they were, or just people who flat out sucked. But we're going to make it through this, okay? Um, we may have to talk about the past in the meantime and what we both enjoyed and disliked about the past, but we're having fun while doing it. And we're going to continue to have fun while we're doing it. That is right. And Nate, tell us where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24, and you can find all my Grizzlies and NBA-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Parker, do you have any more wisdom you'd like to share? Stay positive. League Pass is free, so go watch some hoops. Um, go. There's plenty of classic games you can go back and watch, both regular season and playoffs. So I highly encourage you to just watch League, pla- watch League Pass, play 2K, and just chill. Everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Where can they find you? Yes, and they can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Read my work at grizzlybearblues.com and listen to the Core 4 podcast all the time, every time. Yeah. Well, as we close out, Parker, I'll let you have it today. Ah, you shouldn't have. But you know what? I'm going to head out.